Welcome to the show. Uh, you listen to the Skeleton Key Podcast. I'm your host, Kagan. With me, as always, is Keegan. And. And who? My brother, Tate. The uh, semi permanent guest. Have any cool nickname? The si- okay, what do you- okay, actually, yeah, we haven't addressed that. Um, what do you like want to be called? That's not my place um, to choose. Gigs? He's, he's Tater Tot. Tater Tot? All right, I like that. Not my place to choose. You know, tater you, or Tater Tot? You choose. Tater Skin? Okay, that's not <laughs> No, uh, Tater Tot, I'm good with that. You fine with that? Yeah. All right, Tater Tot. Um, oh, um, <laughs> that might stick. I don't know if it, if it was in camera frame, but we uh, added the newest addition to the decor in here. <laughs> I forgot that was back there, I think, dude. I think when I was looking at it, you could see like, I think half of him, so they may not be able to see... His whole thing, but it's Epstein. Yeah, it's a Jeffrey Epstein flag that says this flag didn't hang itself. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, Keith did. Keith took it down from um, inside of his bedroom and uh, graciously donated it to the yeah, studio. No, not only took it down inside his bedroom, it literally was on his ceiling, right above where he sleeps. So when he wakes I, I up, love the first thing he opens his eyes to is Jeffrey. The first Epstein. thing he saw was Je- I forgot it was in your. The yeah, first it, thing it, he it saw wakes was me Jeff- up right away. I get, I bet it does. I bet he also puts you to sleep like right away as well. Um, I would sleep with one eye open. You'd have to around him. Yeah. Uh, okay, wait, no, actually, uh, fun, like, little, like, pre-topic. What do you guys think happened to, to Epstein? Hmm? Anyone? Well, are we going to get started on this? Uh, probably not, actually. Probably shouldn't. That might have to be, like, a whole, like, like separate, like, side episode. Because he didn't hang himself. That's all I got to say. No, he didn't hang himself. No. No. I think we're on the grants on that. So, this week's episode, since the last two-parter was quite a bit of work for me, um, we're just going to take it a bit easy, like... For like, technically, it was supposed to. We were supposed to record this last week, so we're doing this right now, and we're gonna record another one this weekend. So just as a buffer to get myself a break. Who's a special guest? No, there's no special guest. No, this coming weekend there is gonna be. Oh yeah, yeah, this coming weekend there's a special guest. There is a police officer. We'll talk about. We'll talk more about that after the show. We'll talk more about that after the show. Um, so today's episode is this. Horror and Heartland. Strange and gothic tales from the Midwest. Yes. Wait, is this the Midwest book that you was reading like before? Yeah, you I. Read the I, back I of this real quick? Do what? You want to read the back? Uh, of this no, just now? just real quick. Uh, so some context. I've been reading this book for a few months now, and I just like the more I thumb through it, the more just like, I mean, interesting. You know, kind of funny, ironic, scary. Some of the stories, and just the book is like a reflection on like just how just things were and how kind of shitty they were back in the day because a lot of these are from like the 1800s 1900s early is, is yeah, i got a quick question by the way so, what is historical horror comedy how does that the word comedy how does the that ways happen? the ways that some of these people died <laughs> in the book all i can think of when i think of like horror comedy is um what's that uh the scary movie scary movie <laughs> no that's like a spoof i think of like krampus whenever i think of a horror comedy so that's like I've what a horror comedy is krampus. you see it what's up that's what a horror comedy is Kind of, but no, it's just it's it's more or less the ways that some of these people died oh, in, this, in these stories. Is, is, oh yeah, is the goat man in here? No, the goat man is not in here. So what this book is is this guy is it's called Horror in the Heartland, as Tate said. It's a collection of like just like stories that, that are you know some, some of them are scary, some of them are ironic, and some of them are just kind of like what the fuck no. from around the Midwest. Yeah. You know, some of them are from Indiana. One of, uh, one of them is um, from here in in B town. Really? Yeah, one was even from Bedford, Tate. Uh, what about yeah. Orleans? Are you gonna talk about either of those? Um, I'll talk about the one from Bloomington. I didn't have the one in Bedford in here because it's a stupid one for <laughs> compared to some of the ones in the book. So I was a little upset, but no, that's by Kevin McQueen. So you know, just I, I definitely think you guys should get it. I got it on Amazon. It's a super good book. You should um, 
give it a read. I'm going to be reading most of the pages, like, you know, verbatim. Just because, like, what I did here is I just marked, I bookmarked a lot of my favorite ones from some of the chapters. So is this, like, a two-parter thing where you're going to read more into it and we'll do more? Oh, uh, no, no. Well, like, like, I'll just keep this book, like, on the sidelines over the years. It's like, you know, do, like, every now and then I'll just pick some more stories out of it and I'll tell and stuff like that. Perfect. So, yeah. So this, um, you know, it's a bit of, like, a, a relaxed one, but I read through this entire book in, like, about three days. And I just kind of marked down some of my favorites just as a brisk one. So, uh, yeah, with that. Excited to see what we're getting into. <laughs> It's uh, it's something else, man. So we're starting out. We're starting out in Erie, Indiana. So this is all stuff that happened. Erie, Indiana. It's like confirmed happened. Yeah. Or it's like, yeah. Okay. Where the fuck is Erie at? I, mean, uh, I don't think Erie's a, Erie's not a real place. So what, like, what he does is he just like does like it's Erie, Indiana. And it's like odd Idaho. Um, oh, so he's oh okay. yeah, yeah. Wait, no, Erie, Indiana. Is it E R I E? E E E R I E. Yeah. It's Close enough. With one, it's Erie, just, Indiana was like a TV show back in the 90s when I was a kid. There is an Erie, Indiana 20 minutes away. Really? Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Fuck. I didn't I didn't know that. I had. I, I did not know that. Oh, wait. it's by Helmville. It's south. Yes, you know where Erie is. Oh my god, wait, yeah. We know where Erie is. Holy shit, I forgot about Erie. That's weird. Strange. Wow. Strange. Okay, so I have this one uh, bookmarked in here as, <laughs> as oopsie. <laughs> so let's, let's see, like, what this is. Sometimes people who objected to, to shoplifting of their dearly departed would hire what they would call grave watchers. People who, like, would watch the graves back in the day. Because back in the day, there was a horrible problem with grave robbing, as, as a lot of medical school doctors would hire people to go steal graves. To go, like, steal bodies from graves of, like, freshly died, dead people so they could use them to, you know, experiment on, to, like, understand the human body. That was a way of... Yeah, they would do... Yeah, it was illegal. Well, d d because they, they needed bodies, but they, weren't but they weren't legally allowed to, to like, work on them. So doctors, so doctors at medical schools, like, the one in Ann Arbor was the biggest one back in the day, in the early ni or, uh, ni 1890s. And they, like, had hundreds of bodies go through there over the years from people that they would just illegally Jeez, hire to steal them. Yeah, so that grave robbing was a thing back then that you could make money at by selling them to hospitals. I knew like like there was grave robberies or robberies like um like with Civil War graves and stuff, mm -hmm. like they swords and shit. Yeah, I remember oh yeah, and jewelry and stuff yeah. like that. But yeah. no, like there came a point where medical schools would hire people to steal bodies or like, people that had died like two three days pr before before their bodies had started to rot <laughs> rot, and then they would use them to like study <laughs> to learn more about the human body. Mm. It's a, highly illegal. <laughs> um, but no, yes, yeah, so like they would hire like people to watch the graves, and they'd sit there for about a week until the body was too decomposed for grave robbers to want to steal. So they would just sit there and watch it, and they were armed. They just blast them if they uh, caught someone? Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, so Rising, Rising Sun, Indiana was plagued with body snatchings in early 1877. When a little girl was buried on February 13th, her family and friends hired two men to watch the grave. Unbeknownst to, the, to them, the mayor had already hired two others to do the same thing. When the two sets of grave watchers spotted each other, they came to the natural conclusion and exchanged shots at each other. <laughs> Henry S., hired by the mayor, received a slight wound to the shoulder, but Joseph J. of the other party sustained a serious load of, gu of gunshot to the side. It was a shootout at the graveyard. So they showed up. <laughs> I hired, they were both hired to watch the grave of the little girl, but neither of them were told that. So when they get there, like they think that they're both, they think the two men think that they're each grave robbers. So they start shooting at each other. 
<laughs> and one of them probably died. What a plan. Made a perfect plan going into that. Yeah, no, one of them probably died, I'm assuming. They had real good communication back then. <laughs> oh, God, dude. <clears throat> okay, so... Hmm, oh, yeah, here we go. Let's see, page five. I have this one marked as... What the hell is it? Oh, can't find it. Oh, well, we'll just read on. Isaiah S., an ex-soldier, one-time stonemason, and former postmaster of Pleasant Lake erected his own grave marker. A garish, ten-ton monument made of red, white, and blue granite. He did, not, he did not wish to be enclosed in a vault because, as he said, quote, When Gabriel blows the trumpet, I don't want to be impeded by having a concrete overcoat on, unquote. He also listed the pallbearers. Oh, God, I remember this one. He also listed the pallbearers he wanted to tote him to his final resting place. Six former girlfriends, whom he described as being, quote, all husky girls of about 160 pounds and good-looking, too, unquote. Their names were Lottie, Nanny, Minnie, Addie, Josie, and Millie. Isaiah made these elaborate plans in 1926, many years before he began to slip from memory of a man on November 15th, 1939. He loved his e-girls. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, he wanted some plump women. Yeah. He, he, he wanted some plump women to come <laughs> to carry his, his coffin. <laughs> All six Big of them. Trauma. All six, All of, six them of them. Of 160 pounds. <laughs> like Amazon. Yes, there's, and, and do the, the names are so old-fashioned. Lottie, Nanny, Minnie. Why is there a bunch of, like... East end of it, like nanny. There was a uh, like, dude. I find like a lot of like names back in the day just were kind of like that. They just like ended with an I and an E. I don't know like what like like the the term for that is like the like if it's a plural or not like or like anything because I'm an idiot when it comes to that kind of shit, which is why my <laughs> shit usually needs a lot of proofreading. But also, <laughs> but I don't know like a lot of them did, and a lot of people back then like what you're gonna find in this book also just had like they just used the first letters of their names like D W Shaw, J R Winter. Uh, just shit like that. They're so, really strange names. What's what would that? you be? K.L. Key? <laughs> I'd be K.L. Key. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'd be K.L. Key. No. T.R.T. Key? T.R.T. Key. Ooh, that sounds kind of cool, actually. T.R.T. Key. That's kind of cool. I'd be K.L. Schaller. K.L. Schaller. That sounds like, that sounds like the name of a man that lives in Orleans, like an old man in Orleans. You already have that. K.L. Schaller. Yeah, literally. Like, all my, like, game, like, my name's on the like, games we play is K.L. Shawley. Shawley. <laughs> okay, you know what? I'll, I'll allow it. I'll allow it. <laughs> okay, Tay, um, I didn't have this one in the book, but I found it. It's the one from Bedford. It's titled, A Parrot Prognostic Prognosticates? Prognosticates? On May 7, 1917, a 20-year-old a parrot belonging to a married couple, couple of Bedford called out, quote, Goodbye! Then it fell from its perch, from its perch, as dead as a counterfeit in, in a certain Monty Python sketch. To make it suicide? No, it just it just said goodbye and fell out of it and fell off the perch and died. Is that to make it suicide? No, it just like it's presumed that it was dead before it hit the ground. Like it had a heart attack oh. or some shit. <laughs> I thought it was, I thought but yeah, that's, that's Bedford's one story. That's that we it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> that's all we get. That's all we get is a parrot falling off the perch. How the hell did that even make it into a book? I don't know. Okay, I don't, dude, Tate, I don't know how... I can say dumber shit than that. Actually, I don't, no, I can't wait, say shit that dumb. How the, how the fuck does someone remember to put that in a book? Like, dude, okay, like guys, years, okay, guys, someone... so this makes me defense. The book's good, but it was written by Kevin McQueen, an instructor in the Department of English at Eastern Kentucky University. The father of lightning. Huh? The father of lightning? Who's... Uh, no, wait. Lady McQueen? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was confused as shit for a second. No, just, no, just, just like, Dis, just secondhand Disney references are Tate's main thing for the show, and I love them. I'm here for them. Wait, 
how, how does someone remember a parrot story? Yeah, guys, it's Bedford, and this was in 1917. That's the greatest thing that happened to Bedford was a parrot. It was a parrot saying it was going to die, and, and then it fell. Worse, it's still probably the greatest thing that's ever happened to Bedford. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean... <laughs> Honestly, okay, if it makes you feel better, I couldn't find anything from Orleans. So, of course you couldn't. <laughs> it's like fucking four miles wide. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we're skipping to page twelve, and this is the Bloomington one. I'm mad you even found the Bedford one. That just disappointed me. Okay, how, how how sad do you think I was? Everything <laughs> about Indiana, like usually in the, any book I find, is is horseshit. And but let, let, people don't know we're we were from Bedford. We were raised in Bedford. Yes, that's why. Yes, very we, disappointing. Yes, very disappointing. We just live. We just like currently live here now. But I, but I, I'm not from Bedford. Yeah, you're not. But I mean, neither of us. And all we got to say show is for a parrot. Yeah, all we have is a fucking parrot. <laughs> hey, limestone capital of the world, though. Love that limestone. No, no, but now this story, this next story currently happened here in Bloomington where we all three currently reside. And it's, it's um, titled Initiating the Dead. The Phi Beta Phi chapter at Indiana University in Bloomington wanted Margaret P. of St. Petersburg, Florida as a member, and they weren't deterred by the fact that she had died after an operation of, of appendicitis the day before. On October 8, 1928, 40 members trooped to the Bloomington home of Margaret's grandparents. There they pinned their official badge on Margaret's dress and sang the sorority song. Margaret's mother, also a member, was present during. She's fucking dead. Yeah, did that shit. It's it's presumed like it doesn't say it, but it's presumed it's that like the, they were having like the wake and because back in the day they used to have like a lot of they used to like bring the body into the house. Have you guys ever seen that before? Oh, they did back that, in the day. Yeah, yeah, they do that like uh, in the Philippines, like where's home? Yeah, I, was, I thought you were gonna say Orleans. <laughs> no, no, like when. Um, my uncle's uh, wife's or girlfriend, uh, when her mom died, they, like, left her in the house for, like, a week or something. When did the body start, like, smelling? They embalm it. But why, yeah. your, your, your uncle is married or dating to a Filipino woman. Oh, so he's embalming yes. everything in the house? I have Filipino cousins. <laughs> Three. Who lives in the Philippines. It's the least. I never. What? <laughs> I swear I've told you that before. So they just, like, embalm the body there. No, no, no. They take it to a funeral home and embalm it. So they bring it back. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because they – and they have, like – they have something over, like, like a – it's like – I don't know. It's not just, like, open. Yeah, no, it's not. It's like a clear casing or something. Yeah, no, it's not. Imagine, like, the hearse pulling back into the driveway. (laughs) (laughs) And then, like, they wheel me back out. Because they they do. And they bring me to Tom's house. And, like, yeah. (laughs) They'll do, like – People like come and visit the body in the house and stuff. That's where they have it. Yeah, yeah. Make, I, I, I think it's make co- you uncomfortable, or would you be fine with that? With a dead body in the house? Yeah. Of we'll say my grandmother. <laughs> yeah, could that make you? Oh, okay. Probably make me uncomfortable. Yes. I feel like if you bring back into your house, that's like at least look decent. Which is why, like I said, like if I died like right now, yes, bring me into the into your house, Geeks. It's like, bring me into your mom's house. It's like you guys go to my room every day, and my fucking dead body is just. Wait, so do they still have like? Do they still have like funerals <laughs> and stuff? Like then, will they take it to like a funeral home, or will they have an yeah, actual yeah, opening? Yeah, yeah. So, and then they'll have a funeral like a week later or something. Yeah. All right, all right. Let's get. Not, let's, all right, let's yeah. get back to it. But yeah, so that so that happened, so that happened here in Bloomington. It's presumably they just like went up to her body, which I assume like either it was during a wake and they just pinned it to her. That's what I think happened at least. Okay, where are we at on this one? Um. Oh yeah, here it is. Wait. Oh yeah. 
and this this is uh, titled "Rough Justice for a Train Wrecker." In days of long ago, when Americans were more dependent than now on trains for personal transportation and delivery of goods, antisocial miscreants sometimes intentionally wreck the engines, sometimes for profit, as they would pick the pockets of the injured passengers while pretending to help them, sometimes just for the sheer fun of seeing a locomotive jump the tracks and crash. Railroads offered big rewards for the capture of these villains, but one impatient engineer took the law into his own hands. On a section of tracked running of track running into the countryside outside of Indianapolis, a certain passenger train wrecked every single night for a week, sometimes with the loss of life. Someone was getting his jollies by placing obstructions on the track. One evening, the engineer said to, said to the fireman, if this train jumps the track at the place tonight, you follow me, don't stop for anything, but keep close after me. Somebody has been throwing the train off the track, but I'm going to catch him tonight. The train hit a misplaced rail as at the usual spot, but stopped before incurring any serious damage. The engineer and the fireman jumped out of the cab and ran into a nearby cornfield, where they overtook a man. He confessed, possibly expecting nothing worse than a drubbing, but the railroad men forced him back into the train. The passengers had exited by then and expressed, uh, and expressed a desire to lynch the miscreant, who risked their lives, but the engine coolly told them that he, they would handle the situation and urged them back into the cars. The train started back on its route, with the, with the terrified wrecker riding in the cab with the engineer and the fireman. Once the engine was on a straight stretch of track, the engineer clobbered the vandal over the head with a stick of firewood and shoved the stunned man into the train's engine furnace. Holy oh then he closed God. the furnace door, and the train had some free extra fuel that night. When the, when the Indianapolis Sentinel told the story to its readers on February 18, uh, 1873, it discreetly, it discreetly omitted the by the deceased engineer's name. Wow. Yeah. So, so he shoved him back into a train's fuck cult this dude furnace. and just burn him. <laughs> dude, I mean, it, it did. He he'd done it like multiple times. People have died. I, I think they should have. He should have let the um, passengers lynch him. Oh, you, oh, so it. I think they should have tied him to the tracks and started the train back <laughs> up. Just get just drag him <laughs> behind. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, honestly, I mean, I'm not against it. I mean, well, no, I don't know what, I don't know. Mm, now, yeah, I, I'm for lynching. You remember, like, back in the day, people could, the whole town could have just, like, fucking came together and just killed a guy, and the cops get not think about stonies. it. Yeah, they're oh, stoned him to death. That's so sad. All the people in the town get those stones. That's true. Up. You get, you get, you get. To, there used to be a time where you could just take the town pedophile into the streets and yeah. fucking like curb stomp him until his face was part <laughs> of the pavement. Just here's a stone and start throwing. Yeah, start Some throwing. Eight year old kid, throw it as hard as you can. Dude, it was like Afghanistan, like now, but he, but here back in the day, you could just th- stone people in the streets. You could have. You're not wrong. All right, guys. Okay, so, so uh, this next one's called Mad Medics. Mad Medic. Mad Medic. Dr. Oren, Dr. Oren A, that's his, okay, Oren A, see, what was his last name? (laughs) Oren A's friends and family members in Marshallfield had had known he was insane since April 1885. In fact, he was scheduled to go to the state asylum on August 5th, and yet they allowed him to keep his black bag full of very sharp medical instruments on hand. They didn't know he was insane? Yeah, they knew he was insane. Yep, apparently they've known he's been insane. (laughs) Like, oh. The guy we did the story over. Oh, <laughs> the uh, fastest doctor in the world. <laughs> oh fuck! Oh no! Come on, Ro- Robert. Robert. Oh, what's his last name? <laughs> I forget his last name. God damn it! Leave Robert Lister alone. <laughs> leave Lister. Leave Lister what? alone. 
That's like that's like telling like a five year old giving a five year old kid candy and be like, "Don't eat this." Okay, yeah. I I know that dude, but just <laughs> give. Okay, first off, Keith, real quick, give listen a break, Tate. He 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 was just going as fast as he could because he knew that surgery sucked. Without kill himself until he finally got one successful one. He he <laughs> so he he pioneered medical science. <laughs> So, anyways, late on the night of August fourth, Doctor A got out of his got out his case of tools, ostensibly to show them to his assembled watchers. But he took a double edged knife in hand and started for his wife's room. They asked for this. They did. Yeah. It's eighteen eighty five, Tate. Like I like I we could have been doctors back in the back in this day. It's not very long ago. But they didn't. They did, they if they knew he was crazy, but they were like, oh, it's just it's a phase. It's all. Like, like he said, like giving a little kid candy. She wisely fled the house. He pursued her, couldn't find her, and returned to the house where he encountered his longtime friend, Dr. B. That's all it is. <laughs> Never going to know anything. That's all it is. Dr. A. <laughs> because this name's Do- Dr. Orin Dr. Oren A. So now it's Dr. B. I didn't even realize that until just now. <laughs> Dr. A and Dr. B. <laughs> I didn't even realize oh that. Yeah. Dr. A greeted his professional colleague by slashing Dr. B's throat with a knife, then stabbing him in the chest, the back, and under his arm. In the fight that followed, Dr. B managed to grasp the blade with both his hands, but the sharp double-edged knife cut cut his hands nearly in half. Dr. B escaped when Dr. A stopped for a breather. God damn it, Kevin McQueen. After resting, Dr. (laughs) A stalked stalked around the, the house for a while by himself. No one dared enter it. At last, he stepped outside, plunged a knife into his own throat, and drank some iodine. Neither physician survived, and everyone learned a valuable lesson about permitting crazy people to have access to sharp tools. How do you how do you just take a, a breather when you fucking yeah. <laughs> throat cut and stab in the chest? I'm gonna be honest, that was very hard to follow along. Yeah, Doctor A, Doctor B, Doctor A, Doctor B. Guys, I, I guys, I didn't was, know. I didn't know which one was going against each other. I didn't know. Wait, so did the same. So did the same doctor get stabbed in the chest and his throat got cut like in the beginning? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's Doctor B was his got. friend. Yeah, that, yeah. His Doctor B was his friend. Yeah. Doctor A, Doctor Orson A. Yes. So the dude that got stabbed in his throat cut, he was the one who took a breather. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He was the one that took a breather. He was yep. the one that was doing all the slicing and cutting. Yep. He stabbed Doctor B, which is that we don't know Doctor B. We just know his name is Doctor. Doctor oh. A is Orson. Yeah. So, so, not he, A. so he did it. He's the one that didn't get cut. He cut the B, right? Yes. So A cut B. Yeah. Yes. And then and then, okay. and then he killed himself. Fuck you, Kevin McQueen. And then he killed himself. <laughs> and then right? he killed himself. Yes. yes. Oh, Doctor okay. A killed Drank himself. Drank cyanide. Drank cyanide. Cut his last his own throat. Yes. Okay. I told you. You were confused. You didn't know. Yeah, like, I mean, I'm just saying, guys. Doctor A, Doctor B, Doctor A, B, B A, A B. What do you want me to do here? I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. Kevin McQueen makes this so difficult. He made this difficult. Okay, so this one's just called. <laughs> Forgot about this one. This um, okay. So sorry for the wording. This is called. It's called create creativity and suicide. But in my <laughs> words, I put awesome suicide. Creativity and suicide. That's, there's several like and creativity. Kagan's words was awesome suicide. Yeah, <laughs> guys, guys, just let me read this and you'll see why it's I, it's pretty badass suicide. So, so suicide is awesome now. It's not awesome, but I feel like no matter how you do it, he has this marked as creativity and suicide in the book, and and throughout there's several chapters from each state where the creativity and suicide was used. But I feel like no matter what, you you can't just be like, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome suicide. Let me me describe what. Let me describe this, and and you'll see. He jumped off a skyscraper. That was awesome. But the first guy to do it was. Yeah, the first guy to do it, because then he was because awesome. then he was known as the first person to jump off the Empire State Building. That was so creative, the way he just killed himself. 
I mean, who would have thought you could do it, dude? No one had done it until him. I'm sure all these parents are telling their kids this is awesome. <laughs> hey, 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 he was a pioneer in some ways. Okay, so, anyways. Awesome suicide. A man who lived in, on West Jackson Street in Chicago was, was despondent because he couldn't get to work. So he found work of another sort at night on November 20th, 1888, experimenting with ways to kill himself. Because he got laid off, so he's trying to find ways to kill himself. These included shooting himself in the head, severing the arteries in both wrists, cutting his throat, and like slashing he, his temple. He did all this and didn't die? <laughs> he did all of it and more. But he, like he did, he's not dead. Just let me get, let me get to the That's, end. He's fucking Superman. <laughs> no, he's not. Just get, let me he get is. He survived all that. It's not dying. He didn't survive it. He didn't fucking survive so it. So he did this. all this at one time. He shot this is all one big experiment. Did he cut himself? He did, just the give me a second, gentlemen. His name is lost to history, but the staff at Chicago's Palmer House Hotel long remembered him as the drummer, traveling salesman, who left a note in July 1876 stating that he meant to kill himself in a spectacular fashion that would never be forgotten. <laughs> the man filled the bathtub in his suite with scalding boiling water, tied a rope around his neck, soaked his clothes in kerosene, tied one end of a string to a revolver pointing at his heart, and the other end to a vest, held a dagger to his chest, and then attached a fuse to his clothing. After making this Rube Goldberg preparations, the drummer stood at the edge of the bathtub, took a dose of morphine, and lit the fuse. Flames enveloped his clothes. When the string burned, the gun went off, shooting him in the chest. He lurched forward, tightening the noose and stabbing himself in the chest. The fire burned through the rope, and he fell into the tub. The coroner had his work cut out for him in trying, to, in trying to determine whether the salesman died by poisoning, hanging, shooting, burning, stabbing, scalding boiling water, or drowning. The, Jesus the, Christ. Going back to the, So he <laughs> did survive the shot to the head. Yeah, so he survived the, the shot to the head. The, the arteries cut. The, cut no. Out. Who's to say he survived the shot in the head? He could have died at the shot in the head. I he was just that, doing all that to just do all of it. So I thought you said at the very beginning he shot himself in the head, cut like his arteries or whatever. Like. Yeah, he shot himself in the head, and then like all that stuff happened. Like his body went forward, the knife went in, the um, like he hung himself. Like when he went forward, the oh, knife went down. Oh, I, thought, I thought you said he shot himself in the heart. No, or the chest. No. Yeah, I thought that right oh. there. said he shot him. In the heart. I, I mean, I mean, I did. It said, I, it said shot him in the chest. It didn't say shot him in the heart. He could have just fucking shot himself. He could have missed. We don't know. I I don't know how he died, guys. <laughs> he literally killed himself in twelve different fucking ways. I couldn't find the coroner report. <laughs> I think we should uh, look into that. Why? No, no. This needs to die with that man. <laughs> uh, it's it's real awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome suicide. suicide. <laughs> that's awesome. That was that was a pretty awesome suicide, guys. It's <laughs> <laughs> just saying. Oh, this one's sad. This one's not awesome. This one's not awesome. It's a a tearjerker. This one's not awesome. On September, it's called a hard choice. By the way. On September 2nd, 1905, Nels A., Damn it. a motor inspector for the Illinois Steel Company in South Chicago, was repairing the arm of, of a crane that dangled directly over a pit of full mo uh, molten metal. So it's like it's like the it's like the um the, the steel factory, the iron factory in Terminator Two. Oh, yeah, it's like what this is, but he it's was not repairing a crane. He's repairing the crane. Did yeah. See that hot? Yeah, it's molten steel. Could the crane not fucking like move? Uh, he was a crane inspector, so I, which also I don't know why it's his job to fix it. Imagine if the inspectors had to fix all the shit that we that we they called us out on here yeah, at the site date. But yeah, back then he had to do it as his job. So when the arm moved, Nels lost his balance. 
The only thing within reach at the time was an uninsulated live wire. He had a split-second decision to make. Should he fall into the molten metal below or instantly electrocute himself by grabbing the wire? He chose the latter action, of course, which means he grabbed a hold of the wire mm -hmm. and killed himself instantly. So, that sucks. That's a hard choice to make, dude. I mean, I would have grabbed a hold of the wire, obviously. It's not a very hard choice to make. No, it's not a hard choice. I mean, it sucks. It's just like, man. Now, either way, you're going to die, but there's a better way there. Uh, I think I would have fell in the molten lava. Oh. The molten dude. Wait, wait, wait. Like, how are we talking, like, full on fall? Like, fall, like, yeah. straight fall in? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like, I mean, how, how high was he? I don't fucking know. High enough, high enough to need a crane. As long as you feet first. If you're just, like, dropping in feet first, you got to go from the feet. Oh, yeah, exactly. yeah Keith, because it's not like a, it's not like water. It's yeah. like it's like thick. Like you're gonna fucking sink slowly. Yeah, it's like quicksand. I'd go head first. <laughs> Can you imagine going head fucking first well, into that? I'm, I'm you're gonna be you, fucking sounds... screaming. Your feet are gonna be kicking. You're gonna be this. Oh my god. He's right though. Like I said, the feet first would be the worst because you're gonna. Go oh, first. guys. You said you slowly go into your feet, and it's just gonna rise up, and you're not gonna die right away from your leg. Tate, I'm doing this. I'm doing this right before I go down. Thumbs up. Just I'm like the Terminator the did. Okay, yeah, here we go. Uh, this is under like the um, category of death row dramas, and we're, and we're in Illinois. Chris B. Crispy? Fucking embarrassing. No, it's not crispy. Chris B. strolled into the Chicago Sheriff's Office on August 21st, 1905. Millie's birthday. But she's like born in 92 years prior. Yeah, one of my sisters is like two hundred and some years old. She's a vampire, <laughs> and and he offered to let himself be hanged in place of Henry Husick, scheduled to be executed that day for murdering his father-in-law. Chris offered the brilliant argument: "Quote, I am tired of life, and Husick wants to live. Why not let me die in this place? He would he would be he would be better satisfied, and I would be better satisfied. And the law demands an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, would be satisfied." Besides, I do not believe this man is guilty. This looks like a legal murder to me. He was crestfallen to learn that Henry had already been hanged ten minutes prior. <laughs> so he went there trying to get himself to switch places with the guys because he just wanted to commit suicide. So was he even like... No, he just walked into the police station. He just walked in the front no door. No crime, no one, nothing they, at all. No, he just wanted to... said to him. Sorry, he's already hung. Yeah. I mean, I, he, he did give a pretty good argument, though. You know Lily's gonna be pissed at you. Why? For doing something like this for, on her, on her for, birthday. For, from comparing, for comparing her to it. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares? It's not her birthday. And not yet. She was least. born in 1905. She was born in 1905. <laughs> yes, yes, she was born in 1905. Okay, we're moving on. Moving on. <clears throat> Here we go. The best part is I don't like really even know what some of these are until I like I get back to them. Uh, was he was you uh, hammered when he was reading these? <laughs> no, no, I, I can't read drunk. I can't read drunk. It's very difficult remember to do. That one time he was writing the script. You don't remember that when he showed us his handwriting and it was just like lines all over the. It looked like lines all over the paper. It looked like he gave like a two year old a crown. <laughs> it's the worst thing I've ever seen. Okay, here we go. So, early in the morning on um, early in the morning of November fourteenth, eighteen seventy eight. A policeman stood on a bridge in Zanesville. This is in, um, oh, we're in um, Idaho, or Ohio right now. Zanesville. He became suspicious of a wagon headed his way and ordered the driver to stop. Instead, the driver whipped his horses and crossed the bridge as quickly as possible. The officer got some backup and chased the wagon 14 miles into the countryside. 
One man aboard the wagon fired at his pursuers. At one point, the fugitives hopped out and made an escape by hightailing it into the woods. If an anal if it an analogous scenario happened today involving a high-speed chase, the armed occupants of suspicious of the suspicious car abandoning it and running away would would like you'd find basically sorry the way he worded this. You basically expect to find drugs or shit inside the car, you know. If the co if they get out and run away, yeah. you think you're gonna find or they drugs. Have a warrant or something. Yeah, but this is 1878. And the instead, the police found a wagon full of bodies of four prominent Zanesville citizens who had been buried in wood in Woodlawn Cemetery over the previous three days. Grave robbers. Grave, grave, grave robbers. Grave. 1878. Grave robbers. Taking them to um, a doctor. Yeah, they're yeah. They are going to the doctor, Keegs. Yes, they are. Not like whipping a wagon with four dead bodies in the back. <laughs> yeah, seriously, man. You just got four corpses back there, just like sitting down. You're just like, ha ha, fucking just whipping probably, the horse. Probably back there purging and shit. Ugh, oh God. But no, yeah. I mean, hell, it's like famous um, serial killer, the first urban serial killer, H. H. Holmes with the Murder Castle. That's mm -hmm. how he, which we'll do an episode on him one day. But that's how he started out making so much money. He was in the medical school. He, they would they would rob graves and bring him back to the Ann Arbor Medical School. It was so gross weird. work, man. It ain't honest work. It ain't <laughs> honest work. Hey, that, maybe that's how our doctors are so good now. Trial and error. Oh, that's fair. Okay, well, okay, that's true. But <laughs> that's like saying that's why we know how much poison it takes to kill 14 people in the same room. Because we tried it in, in the CIA during MK Ultra, we fucking pumped poison through the Pentagon in San Francisco, and I'm. Wait, what year is this? What year is this? This is not the fifties. Let's not get him started on that. Yeah, don't get him started <laughs> on it again. Figure it out from Hitler. No, no, we we fucking nailed it. Why? Why the fuck would you? Be, guys, don't. We're not gonna get into it right now, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Keith, hey, hey, this is uh, your kind of guy. No God, it's yeah, your kind of guy. Be, I don't even. Can we just get the story then? Yeah, <laughs> this is probably gonna be if I want to skip fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I have this one down as like a smart way to invest money. David B, a bachelor and member of the of a prominent Toledo family, died on February eighth, nineteen twenty seven. His will, filed in probate court on March twelfth, ordered that fifty thousand dollars be set aside to con to construct a home in nineteen seventy seven, for women between the age. And this is a quote. For women between the ages of 16 and 28, of small stature, no fat women need apply. How the fuck is this my kind of guy? <laughs> you lost me on the whole Keith. Keith is what six. You lost me on the 16 part. You lost me on the 16 part. Fuck you. I ain't no fucking pedophile. Motherfucker. Okay, okay, so this is, um, this is called Succusant. Sukissant obituaries from a Cincinnati newspaper circa August 1886. A resident on 4th Street last evening tried to draw a, a nail into a can of nitroglycerin. A what? A resident of 4th Street last evening tried to drive a nail into a can of nitroglycerin. That's an obituary. Why does it like blow up on him? Yes. <laughs> yes. It sparked and it blew up and killed him. This uh, this is like part of what I was saying. People, spook. this is part of what I was saying. We can get him on here sometime. Dude, so you can tell us all the times he's like almost fucking died. Yeah. 
dude, seriously, no. Like that, that, that's part of the reason why I said at the beginning, this is like how dumb people kind of were back in the day, which I guess people aren't like any like smarter now. Like people eat Tide Pods now. People fucking like there's that bitch who fucking sprayed Gorilla Glue in her hair and couldn't get it out. Oh, yeah, I mean, but just people back then, like he just tried to. Or here's another one, actually. This is the next one. Obituary notice for Robert W. of Columbus, this, December 30th, 1937. Robert wondered if kerosene, a companion had thrown onto his trousers, would burn. He lit it. Funeral arrangements were being made that evening. With the fucking trousers on, he lit it? Like, why didn't he just put them got, with them on him? A guy, yeah, with them on. A guy, a, a guy I knew, a guy I know made up a, real, a, a guy I know made a really good point up. This was about three, two or three years after Prohibition ended, so everyone was just getting back into drinking a shit ton. It's out, it's out. They had, they had like, in, in, like for like a lot of the places, they still had uh, oil lanterns. It's very possible this guy was fucking hammered off whiskey and tried lighting a cigarette, and like a spark fell down on his pants. So very simple. Or he yeah. just fucking dumb and i'm leaning more towards that because it didn't say anything about like that I, I think he might have just been fucking stupid some sometimes somewhat really yeah, that sounds like something you would do fuck you <laughs> fuck you i might accidentally get like uh, spill an ash they're shooting myself. shots yeah. at each other now apparently oh come on you know i love you keith <laughs> you know i love you put All some right. respect in my name come on hey he, you're a good man you're a great man thanks great man i'm sending fucking yeah. chocolate Ugh. Oh god! <laughs> I couldn't help but die laughing. That's all. <laughs> okay, whatever. Well, uh, anyone who's wondering, uh, Kagan slept on M and M's and got chocolate melted all over the couch. You bastard! You bastard! I did. <laughs> I did. But I proudly owned up to that. He comes upstairs, hungover. Tate, uh, Tate, can you? Uh, Get the extractor and clean out the couch because I kind of slept on M&M's last night. You thought I pissed myself, so it was better than the alternative. Well, yeah, but you said get the extractor for the couch where you slept when you were pissed drunk. <laughs> I thought you did piss yourself. We were all pissed drunk. Okay, Keith, you woke up in the hallway in your underwear. How does that fucking feel? <laughs> How does that fucking feel? At least I didn't have chocolate on my body. That's or in the couch. Hey, man, you woke up. Okay, fine. You, know, was, you, you woke up, up on the floor. I woke up feeling like a snack. I woke up in a cocoon, in a cocoon blanket. Felt. I slept like a baby, apparently. I just don't get how you, like, didn't... I don't get how you were in the hallway. Nah, well, my door was unlocked. Or I might have locked it, actually. No, uh, well, <laughs> So my bedroom, when I, like, woke up... Yeah. When I was trying to go back to my room, my door was locked. And the podcast room door was locked, but it was literally cracked like a dick hair. It was a rough... It was a rough-ass rough week. It was a rough uh, weekend, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. So what what Tate thinks was I came that's, out of my that's room. What I, when I went to bed, you were in there asleep. <laughs> oh. And we had been locking those doors all night. So you must you were still obviously very So drunk. you think he you locked it when he came out and of the you, door? Your first instinct going out was I gotta lock the door, keep the door locked. You locked yourself out of your room. I don't that's know that's, def- that's definitely what happened. I believe that whole well, I don't know why the fuck I came out of the hallway if, in my if underwear. That was at 4 a.m. <laughs> I believe that whole hallway. I went to bed at like 2.30. Everybody was asleep. The last one to go to bed. Walked through. To make sure you're in the room, I got the key out of my room, unlocked your door, opened your door, and you were in bed asleep. And then you wake up the next morning telling me at 4 a.m. you woke up in the hallway. I was so confused. <laughs> I mean, Keith, I hate to say it, but that sounds like the most like rational thing that probably did happen. <laughs> All right, guys, so we got two more, and they're both tooth-related. I'm going to read you uh, one of them, and then I'm going to read you my favorite one at the, at the end. Th- this is one I tell everybody, just to, to like describe this book. When people ask like, what it's about, I, I go to this page, and I show them. But this is um, – so the first one is William S., a farmer of Monroeville, spent, spent September 14, 1933 nursing a toothache. 
a man of an experimental outlook, William fired a revolver into his jaw to, in his words, shoot out the ache. The doctor said the prognosis for survival was not heartening. This motherfucker had a toothache and shot He his... shot himself in the mouth. To fix a toothache? To shoot, to shoot out the ache. What year is this again? 1933. How fucking dumb were people back then? That's what I'm saying, guys. I started to think that people back then were just like, clueless. Yeah, what the fuck? They were. How about this next? They had a fucking pig brain, apparently. (laughs) I mean, dude's like, Mike, can you imagine, like, right now, saying, like, tooth hurt and go get your gun and just (laughs) shoot your tooth? Fucking blow my jaw. (laughs) If you think, like, maybe this will fix it. I I think that guy wasn't, like, necessarily the brightest. Oh, next time we get toothache, I say we try um, getting a chisel and a hammer and. Ugh. I think d- put dude, a quarter stick of dynamite in somebody's mouth. See if it fixes. Dude, it. how do you think? How, oh, how do you think they fucking cured? Like, you you know, at some point, doctors like use chisels and a hammer to fucking knock a tooth out. Uh, yeah, I remember the story we did. But that wasn't the Robert Lipson story. What was the story we did with the Civil War that you read about? And then I had my. Point. That was it. That was uh, in that one. Was it the Robert Lipson story? That was in that one. Yeah. <laughs> remember the dude they had to shove up your ass and pour the. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like a giant oh, car. It was yeah. like a giant oil funnel for yeah. a car. And the barbers, I mean, what you just said, they did the barber surgeon, they did, yeah. This hey, was, hey, they brought butt chugging to real life. Except with medication. <laughs> they didn't know it. Was it. <laughs> it was with medication. <laughs> okay, so this next one is, um, and our last one is called Dentistry Made Easy. Sam A., a waiter on the riverboat city of Cincinnati, was troubled by a toothache on July 21st, 1924. For a home remedy, he tied the offending molar to the boat's anchor and threw it overboard. The tooth came out all right, and so did the lower half of Sam's jaw. He bled to death in his sleep that night. Oh, his, his bottom jaw came out? I mean, it says a piece, but I imagine like a large part of his fucking jaw came out. This dumbass. Oh, he tied his tooth. Which, yes, to an anchor, which I want to point out, just real quick, it said it was hurting. It didn't say it was loose. So I don't know why he thought it was yeah, going to fucking come fuck? out. So, yeah. He dropped it. <laughs> His just jaw fell out. Tied it to a rope, tied like the rope to some, I'm assuming, fishing line, maybe, something yeah. like that. Just hooked it overboard. That's what I am. He's looking like this. For a couple hours, Keith. See, he, I, imagine he, fucking lower jaw. I imagine he bled a lot and I really fast. Still, there's still, like, is funny ways that people take, like, their tooth out. Oh, people like, see like tied to the door. You know, you set the door real hard. Oh, people. Like oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. People, people still do that. Oh, pe- like, people actually die in stupid ways. They. St- oh, yeah. That hasn't changed. They're just not like as like we see these as like you know like, duh. Why would you fucking do that? But like I'm, people still get hurt like that. I, I am glad that I've lost all my teeth because that was ass. That sucked. Ugh. It was not losing teeth. Oh, dude. Especially like if you lose half your fucking jaw. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. said, I just don't didn't like when the taste of blood in my fucking mouth. I don't think Sam A was the brightest guys, but no, yeah. So that's the end of our episode this week. I liked it. What you think? You guys like it? Yeah, it was, really, that was fun. The story stories were, that was actually really cool. Stories were pretty cool. I was, I was a fan bouncing of them. like story to story. Yeah, there's oh yeah, we can bounce around a lot. Like, we started in um, Indiana, then made our way all the way to um, what, what I, Ohio. Was that last night in Ohio? Uh, yeah, Chicago. Indiana wasn't that big. Chicago or Illinois was fucking huge, which obvious reasons. A lot of like cr- like crooked shit happened back in the Michigan day. Too. Yeah, Michigan. Michigan was pretty. Oh yeah, Michigan yeah. was big. A lot of stuff coming from Ann Arbor in the uh, grave robbing section. I want to point that out real quick. Jim Harbaugh's neck. Dude, probably like the worst place you could bury a family member back in the day. Anyways, um, yeah, guys. So that's the end of this week's episode. Um, this uh, next week uh, we've got a. Um, kind of like I don't really know how to describe it. I'll put a, it's a kidnapping episode. 
with the police officer. Yep, we got our special. We got a special guest coming on here. He'll be on here for next weekend. Hopefully, we, we hopefully we don't wake up too hungover, and hopefully this Saturday's not like th- this past one. Running guys, so follow the socials. The Skeleton really Key Podcast. We got a we got a video up. We've uh, been recording this whole time. Well, uh, it'll be up on TikTok. We'll have stuff recorded. We hope it works out this time. We hope it works out this time. I, I spent some good coin on a memory card, so hopefully it works. Right on, guys. Fo- like I said, follow the socials. We'll uh, see you guys next week. Take care, and uh, catch you later. Deuces. See ya.